Hello, and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And in each episode of this podcast, I read one small slice of American writing um, and uh, using mostly the Library of America as my source material. Well, there's a few exceptions, uh, not to mention my Robert A. Heinlein Book Club uh, read-throughs podcast, which I'm doing simultaneously with this. Um, but uh, currently, we're finishing up Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uh, this is part five of five of my reviews. So if you're just joining us, you may want to go back uh, to, to the earlier parts, or you can just listen to this, and you'll know how the book ends, uh, more or less. Um, most of this section of the book takes place in the Simon uh, Legree plantation. So this is the final stage of Tom's journey before his death, uh, which, is, which comes at the end of the novel. We've seen him follow from Kentucky with uh, the Shelbys to uh, the St. Clairs and now to the, um, the Gree Plantation. And this is the worst. This is the, the, really the, the voyage into hell. And I think the book actually becomes quite good at this point. I, I think there's issues with this book throughout with the way it's framed and the way it's structured and the way uh, Stowe's a little bit transparent about what she's trying to do here. But... And certainly the characterization of time is something we eventually have to kind of grapple with and deal with uh, because it is such an important part of popular culture. And we know what Stowe's trying to do. Stowe is trying to present him as a noble martyr figure who uh, remains faithful to God till the end of his story, remains a faithful Christian, um, despite all the horrors that happen around him. But of course, in popular culture, Uncle Tom is synonymous with uh, passivity and acceptance of one's horrible situation and and even kind of being a traitor to 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 the race almost so it's it's a troublesome character to deal with entirely but uh, i think we got to look ultimately at what stowe is trying trying to do here without ignoring the fact that this is not looked at fondly by all, by all readers, especially as we move into the 20th century. You know, it's, it's, it's a figure of, that's used kind of in a derisive way. We have characters who run away here who, who come off like m- more attractive to us from our modern eyes where we say like, yeah, we want to be like George, Eliza's husband, right? Or be like Ka- uh, Cassie um, or, or uh, what's her name? Emmeline, the the other the other girl from the the, the grass plantation, um, the names are starting to jumble in my head. There are there are actually quite a few characters in this this book, not a huge number, but still, uh, uh, there's a handful. Um, but anyway, so in um, let's just let's go over kind of the plot here a little bit in the final chapters, the final ten maybe ten or eleven chapters. In chapter twenty three, the chapter called Cassie. Basically, this is about Tom coming to terms with living on this this plantation and working. Um, and of course, one difference in Tom's life here is he's seen men and women working together in the fields, uh, which really hasn't been his experience in as a slave in Kentucky, and then one in uh, at the St. Clair plantation, uh, where he was more of a house slave there and working in like the administration of the house. And all that, he's got a very, very different experience uh, in this part of the story, working as a as a field hand. Now, of course, one thing that Tom is confronted with in this part of the story as well is uh, 
regul like a lot more day-to-day -day regulation of his life where his he's been observed by overseers who are abusive towards him um and he's seen a lot more violence and experienced a lot more violence too um and in fact in this chapter he is is beaten for kind of refusing to follow the orders of his of the overseers and this is something he hasn't experienced before really with his previous masters and ultimately, this is going to be the cause of his death, right, is, is just physical abuse from his master and overseers. Now, here it's the overseers who do it. Later on, the one that's going to kill him is going to be his master. And I think that's, of course, on purpose because Stowe wants the moral burden uh, not be displaceable to the overseers, right? Because that's, that's a, it's not a major defense of slavery, but it was sometimes thrown out there. It's like it's these overseers, a real problem, slavery itself can be benevolent, can be good, is not as evil as you make it out to be. The problem really is, you know, m managing the slaves on a day-to-day -day level sometimes gets out of hand, you know, but, you know, that's not representative of the whole system. But by having the master do the actual murder at the end is, is rather important, but that's getting ahead of ourselves here. Um, now, Cassie, of course, is the slave, like basically the concubine slave who's replaced uh, by Emmeline. Um, but we learned that like Legrasse still has some degree of affection and attractiveness, whatever we want to call it, for Cassie. Um, of course, it's it's all perverted through the power relations and, and uh, you know, it's basically sexual slavery uh, and systematized rape. But, uh, you know, in his perverted mind, uh, Legrasse has, you know, a relationship with these women. Um, now, it's in Chapter 34, uh, called The Quadroon Story, that we get Cassie's background. Now, uh, Cassie's mulatto, uh, so the quadroon referenced here must be her child, um, who would be a quadroon, her child with Cassie. Um, but she's there to help him. So this is the beginning of the relationship building between Tom and Cassie, which is going to be so important for the final part of the novel. Um, and so she tests him. She's almost like a She's tempting. I mean, there, I got kind of tempter's vibes here. I, again, I don't know if that's Stowe's point of view, but she's uh, beautiful. She uh, is was this sort of um, mistress slave for a long time. She was able to ride her beauty to, to, to live this life as a mistress, uh, but she eventually got sold to the new master uh, and then sold to Lagrasse. And, and she, she was sold through several masters. I think the third was uh, Lagrasse, who is the father of the child. Maybe, no, she was passed on to someone else. So she had like four or five, but she was passed around like, like a, you know, like kind of a sex worker. But of course, she's not free in it. So the, the whole way we understand that has to be understood that way. But um, she is sexually exploited throughout her life by different men. Um, but also she shares something with Tom in that Tom was also kind of passed around, right, uh, to different families. And there's actually some similarities there. They both end up with Legree. I keep saying Legrasse. Legree. Uh, they were previously owned by, like, professional men, right? Um, but um, but her story is so much worse because she was actually she actually killed one of her kids doing kind of a, a you know rather than see them in in slavery. Anyways, this this, this ch you can read this chapter if you want the full story of of Cassie and her 
and her dead child. I, I think that's the the quadroon that's being referenced here. Um, but it's it's a good chapter. But the, it's, the why I say it's like a temptation is throughout this, Cassie is telling Tom like there's no God, and that he should just sort of give up. There's no hope. Um, there's just evil in the world, and there's nothing we can really do about it. At least you can't be comforted by God. And so Tom, Uncle Tom, uh, Uncle, the Tom of Uncle Tom's Cabin, right, the t- titular character, is, is then tested by this. And, and, I, and I think we got to remi- remind ourselves how important this struggle is for Stowe, is like, um, is Christianity as the solution to slavery, both from redeeming people who are bad and, and turn them away from the life of slavery. And we're going to see an example of that in a little bit, um, but also in, in helping Tom survive and endure this and be a noble person, to be a, essentially a good person. Stowe's not saying don't run away. Obviously, she's not. She has characters who run away who are praiseworthy here, but there's something kind of special about Tom's characterization in that he's able to endure this because of Christianity. And, and it's very sad. It, it's like, it's almost like the, how Marx talks about religion being that, that kind of the, the, the anguished sigh of the masses or something. Like, there, there's some virtue in that. It's not, the, it's not just a, it doesn't weaken you. It strengthens you. It strengthens Tom to do like a bold thing at the end. Like he actually stands up for the Cassie and Emmeline who run away. It, it's quite noble. I, I'm kind of giving away the ending of the story here, but but this is an old book, so you probably know that. Um, so moving ahead, we get uh, after we get the tokens uh, chapter, which is really Legree's background story. Um, there's we just learn how he went so wrong, and that's basically he had a brutal father, and and it's it's interesting how aware she is of the cycle of violence. Um, which, of course, modern-day psychologists are aware of, and, and, and we know how violence perpetuates itself generation to generation. We see Legree here was abused by his father, um, which pushed him away from his mother and turned him into an evil, heartless person. Uh, he eventually goes to sea, gets a letter from his mom uh, with her hair, and this hair is like the token that he's going to carry with him as a reminder of this. But he doesn't ever redeem himself. He becomes an alcoholic, becomes an abusive slave master, and, and worst character in the book in many ways, and the least redeemable of any of the characters. Because we see other bad people redeemed. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Um, and, you know, his anger, he takes out his anger not only on people like Tom, uh, he takes it out sexually on, like, Emmeline, it seems. So he's really, really unredeemable in a way. Um, but to focus on Legree's character here, there's a really interesting passage where we just see kind of how fallen he is and how lost he is. Um, so first we have a passage here kind of dwelling on his mother and his memory of his mother's goodness. There's a dread unhallowed necromancy of evil that turns things sweetest and holiest to phantoms of horror and affright. That pale loving mother, her dying prayers, her forgiving love, wrought in that demonic or demoniac heart of sin only as a damning sentence, bringing with it a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. The Greek burned the hair and burned the letter, and when he saw them hissing and crackling in the flame, illy shuddering the thought of everlasting fires, he tried to drink and revel and swear away the memory. And, but often in the deep night, whose solemn stillness 
arraigns the bad soul in forced communion with himself. He has seen that pale mother rising by his bedside and felt the soft twinning of her hair around his fingers till the cold sweat would roll down his face and he would spring from the bed in horror. Ye who had wondered to hear in the same um, that God is love, that God is a consuming fire, see ye not how to the soul resolved in evil, perfect love that is the most perfect torture, the seal and sentence of the direst despair. So he turned to drink uh, after burning his mom's hair. So anyways, he's trying to forget his mother, and he does it through alcohol and drink. Um, but then he, then a few paragraphs later, we get, Legray stops in front of the, at the foot of the stairs and heard a voice singing. It seemed strange and ghost-like in that dreary old house, perhaps because of the already tumultuous state of his nerves. Hark, what is it? And then it's um, singing. Right. And this terrifies him, this religious singing, right, the slaves singing these religious songs about family and about parents and children are in the lyrics here. And then we get Legray stops. He would have been ashamed to tell it, but large drops of sweat stood on his forehead. His heart beat heavy and thick with fear. He even thought he saw something white rising and glimmering in the gloom before him and shuddered to think it was the form of his dead mother who suddenly should appear to him. So he becomes terrified at the religious intensity and spirituality of, of the slaves that he's abusing. It's really a powerful moment in the book. And it, it, it's pretty clear Legree is going to, there's not enough pages in the book to save Legree. Um, and, and he won't be really redeemed. Um, so then we get uh, Emmeline and Cassie. And this is... Um, This is basically where we start to see the narrative of, of slave solidarity um, between Emmeline, Casey, and Tom. Um, Casey stands up to Legree with how he treats Tom. Um, and, and, but Legree responds with more threats of violence. Um, and then after this, in chapter 37, we get a short aside uh, called Liberty. Um, this is this is weirdly placed in here because it actually takes place after uh, George's confrontation, Eliza's husband George, uh, not the Shelby George, uh, confrontation with uh, the Tom, the slave hunter. Um, if you remember, that's a subplot. Um, but there is a two uh, two year break. Remember, more than two years at this point, probably more like three years because there was a literal two year break in Tom's storyline. But we're back to the Quaker village and Tom Loker, the, the, the slave hunter, is still injured and still recovering from his, his injuries there and, and living with the Quakers. So this must be two years pr prior to the events. And, and it's almost, I don't know if Stowe forgot about this plot line and realized, oh, I need it for the conclusion of the story to wrap up everything. This, this seems a bit misplaced, but it's one quick chapter which does a couple things. One is we see George and Eliza finally getting their freedom in, in Canada through the Underground Railroad, through the help of the Quakers. But most importantly, I think for the point of the story, is Tom Loker is redeemed by his experience. He learns from the Quakers to be a, a good person and to turn his back on his evil ways, to stop being a slave hunter, to uh, you know embrace... God and and be an abolitionist or whatever and help with it. He's going to help with the Underground Railroad, I suppose. We don't really get his full story, but he's going to be good from this point out. He won't be a bad person anymore. He's been redeemed by religion in the same way Tom is being 
constantly sustained through hell uh, with his religion. So now we come to the conclusion of the book with chapter 39, which is um, the escape attempt. So it's called, I think the chapter is called the victory. No, I'm skipping it. Chap the chapter of the victory is not about Ca uh, Cassie and Emmeline's escape plan. This is about, um, this is about Tom sticking to his religion despite all the temptation and the evils he faces. It's his victory. The victory is Tom's keeping his faith through all this and his choice to stick once and for all with, with, um, with Christ, with God, with, with Christian beliefs. Um, so this is the kind of the peak of Tom's character where he takes all the temptation from Cassie, which says turn away from religion, and uh, his master's new brutality and all the misfortune he had in life, and he decides to, to stick it out with Christ. Stowe even uses an epigraph for this chapter. She doesn't always use these, but several chapters have these. It's thanks be unto God who give us the victory. So very straightforward. Um, the, the, it's right from the Bible, this concept of the victory there. The last line is, amen, the Lord help ye, uh, talking to Cassie. Um, then we get to chapter uh, 39, the stratagem. Um, this chapter is about her, or, or Emmeline and Cassie, deciding to escape together um, and their plan. And their plan involves some kind of wacky supernatural shenanigans. They basically want to turn the house into a haunted house. Um, and uh, use that to kind of, can, so they can collect supplies in that area that's haunted, so the Gree won't go there, and then they'll be able to like have enough supplies to be able to escape. And they do, and they run out in, into the into the woods or whatever, and um, and they they're able to double back into the haunted uh, room. <laughs> where they have their food and supplies. That's basically how it goes. So they run away and they double back, hide, kind of like Harry Jacobs, hiding, not in plain sight, but hiding nearby, but, but, but being protected. Here, they're protected by ghosts, right? That Legree, it actually, in some sense, it's set up here. Stowe sets up that Legree is being haunted by demons and haunted by his, his, his mother and the memory of his mother, and he's turned away from God, and he... He has all these evil thoughts, and he's a drunkard. So he's, it's kind of believable that he might fall for a scam like this. It's, I, you know, it doesn't seem to hold much water in real. Like, could this be a real strategy for escaping? Harry Jacobs was not literally in the. She she had to go to like her, you know, her, her relative's house and hide there. This I don't really buy this as an escape attempt. Maybe in his in the history of of slavery, there was someone who escaped this way. Um, I, I think Stowe wants to play a little bit with like the spiritualism stuff. That was a growing movement at the time, religious movement. And it's, of course, an unchristian uh, kind of alternative religion that's active in America at the time. So I, I think there might be something like that going on here. Um, but that's, it, it, it's a fun little chapter. Then we get to chapter um, chapter 40. The martyr, and this is the Tom's martyrdom, and this is Tom's greatest moment. Well, maybe his greatest moment was in the victory, but that's a spiritual victory. Now he has to finally confront Legree, 
who is demanding to know where Cassie ran away to. And he could tell, but he doesn't. He instead uh, suffers the questioning and then finally suffers being beaten uh, to death, essentially. He, he lives on, but he's, he's being bitten, beaten to the brink of, his de- of death all night. And then when he gives up, he turns it over to the overseers who continue to beat him. He's basically, Legree beats him until he's exhausted. And then he has the overseers continue the job. Their names are Sambo and, and Quimbo, by the way, if you uh, didn't know that. Um, and, of course, Sambo is a term that's been used uh, also as a kind of a racial stereotype of a, of a, of a kind of a submissive um, black man. Um, Kind of like Uncle Tom sometimes gets referred to. Well, Uncle Tom's more of like a, I'm not sure. These are stereotypes I don't want to think too much about, but they're, they're out there. Um, but Tom literally does the Jesus thing and says like, oh, forgive them for not, for, for, you know, not what they do. I mean, it's, it's pretty blatant. I, I'm not, I understand, again, what she's doing. I'm not happy with all the way it works out. I think ultimately Tom's arc is fine um, in the story. Um, and him, again, the point is he doesn't die for nothing. He's not just, he doesn't roll. It's actually standing up to his master with the armor of, of Christianity. He's standing up to his master, not giving up Cassie, right? And not surrendering to him. So it's actually quite brave and bold of what he does here. Um, but kind of the, the religious aspects of it are laid on a little bit thick in this in this story. Um, now uh, we get to the end of the story. So the next chapter, uh, we see the young master, uh, George. This is George Shelby. So this is the Shelby son, George, the one who was in the very first scenes of the book playing with Tom and teaching Tom to read um, and like presented as a good friend. And he's come all the way south. He's tracked down Tom to the Legree Plantation and he's, he's come just like uh, a couple days late because Tom is beaten to death, dying a very slow, painful death. And George finds Tom. Shelby just is like, yeah, this guy's giving me all sorts of problems. Just, you know, there's a lot of nasty language here. The N-word's thrown around a lot. Um, you see uh, Legree's like contempt, hatred, hostility, towards Tom and everything he represents, uh, his obstinance in his view. And, you know, George says, well, I'll buy him. And, and his response, Shelby's response is something like, well, I don't sell dead people because Tom's dying. Um, eventually, there, you know, George threatens legal action against him for what he did to Tom, but there's no, no, no witnesses that can conf- uh, back it up. So like all these other masters who get away with, with murder, uh, he's going to get away with it. Legree ends, his, his arc ends, he's unredeemed, unredeemable, in fact. But George is able to uh, have his moment with, um, with Tom. He's able to bury Tom after he finally dies. He basically dies in front of George, that f- family being reunited, if only momentarily, but only in death can he be free. Um, that's, that's the story we get of Tom. Um, but uh, George is now committed not just being to be like a, a better master than his father. Um, to Tom, he's committed to ending slavery. I think the book could end here. I don't, I don't think we need more in the book, but uh, we do pick up with uh, Cassie's escape. Um, 
who she's because she's mulatto she's dressing as a as a, like a foreigner um and they end up on the same boat with George George, who's returning back to Kentucky, and and Cassie recognizes him from back on the plantation or something, and so they she confesses to him, and he's like, "No, I'll, I got your back. I'll protect you." Um, and then we get this weird uh, s- sort of other story about this uh, Madame de Thau, who. Um, is related to George, George Harris, the George, Eliza's husband. Um, it's like that that's her brother, actually. And so she's actually also a mixed-race person, but she got out of slavery. She was freed. Uh, she married a man who loved her authentically and freed her. And... Uh, And then there's like another kind of f- weird family drama. Th- this is all like, you know, like in that when a, a TV show doesn't know what to do with a character in a particular season. And they're like, well, let's let's do some family drama here. Long lost brother or something. It kind of s- speaks like that. But it seems like Cassie is Eli- like Eliza's mother. Right. Um, from one of her previous relationships and. And so this is the quadroon story, ultimately. So the quadroon and the quadroon story is Eliza, I guess. I don't know. I I think that's what's happening here. But whatever. It's um, it's the it's the story we got. Um, it, it's a nice sentimental ending where we can kind of connect all these threads together into one happy family, I suppose. Um, and they all go off to Canada. And then they move to, like, um, they talk about going to Liberia together. Um, and there's a kind of a pitch for blacks to resettle into Liberia, which, of course, is tied to the colonization movement. Um, and eventually, George and Eliza go there to Liberia. Um, that's it. The final chapter is uh, um, George shall be freeing his slaves. To, you know, like Aunt Chloe is freed, all the other slaves on his farm are freed, and he commits to fighting the struggle against slavery and, and, you know, telling the story of Tom and how he suffered in slavery, which, of course, Stowe's doing, we're all doing, right, as reading and listening to this story. So uh, then we just get a, a, a lecture at the end. The last chapter really just is a lecture. Uh, and, and Stowe's appeal to to see the end of slavery. So anyways, that is the last part of the book. There's a lot going on here, actually, in the last... There's a lot of crammed in. I'm glad the book's not longer, though, but uh, I think there's ups and downs in this final part. Like, I love the, the Gree Plantation stuff and the, just the brutality of it and how Tom walks into really hell and sees these horrors and sees what happened to Cassie and, and sees her being abandoned and thrown into the fields because she's too old and a younger, beautiful woman, a 15-year-old girl is brought in to be a new concubine for this horrible person. Seeing Legree, his spiritual torment over his mother and the choices he made in life, all of it is really, really great. Um, I think what, you know, is, is kind of, off-putting a little bit with this book is just how there's all these contrived moments. Like, I don't think we need 
all the family drama at the end. We don't need to connect all these lines. We don't need to connect Cassie to George and Eliza. Um, really, what's the point? You could just be uh, Cassie goes to Canada and that's the end. And then we have this colonization bit with uh, George going there and living happily ever after in Africa, which, of course, is what even Lincoln for a time was proposing. It's, it's totally unrealistic to think this could have happened, but those arguments were being made at the time. So I don't know, take it or leave it. Um, ultimately, I think what we got to take away from this novel is that is is that this characterization of an Uncle Tom is just, those maybe those people exist, but it's not this guy. The Uncle Tom in the story is super, super brave, maybe a bit stoic through his religion, but he, and maybe our modern sentiment is we like George, Eliza's husband, more for, for standing up and running away before he lost his life. And he gets, he, he, and, and I think Stowe's honest about this. She's like, yeah, Tom, by not doing that, lost his life. Eliza made a different choice and, and saved her life and got freedom, right? But Tom's choices nevertheless put him in a position to save the lives of, of Cassie and Emmeline. So he is a martyr ultimately. So, and that's, I think in her view, quite admirable and something that redeems uh, his character, um, which is never like condemned. There's nothing, Tom never does something evil throughout the whole book. He's always on the side of, of good. It's, it's just us, our, us modern readers want him to resist. They want him to like do what like Frederick Douglass did to Covey, to, to his overseers, or we want him to see him run away, like we see in those slave narratives. And that's not the life of most slaves, though. Most slaves are Uncle Tom. They live and die in slavery. And I think when we read the slave narratives, when we read uh, more optimistic stories that come out of this horrible experience of American slavery, we, we want to read about resistance, about Solomon Northrop finally getting his freedom again. We, we want those kinds of stories. But this is millions of people lived lives like Tom. And, and I think Stowe is actually doing this a credit, seeing bravery and courage and, you know, really getting to the heart of those people. And, and that's great. And th that's just scratching the surface of all the good stuff in this novel. I think the St. Clair stuff is really, really good. Again, if we, I think the Aveline uh, sentiment and her death is kind of a bit contrived too, and, and all that's to get Tom to the South. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting things done with that, those characters, the Ophelia and, and Augustine St. Clair and his brother. Those conversations are wonderful set pieces in the book. Um, yeah, I, I'm liking this. I, I think this is a good book, and I've really enjoyed kind of reading over it and talking about it with you. Um, so anything else to say? I don't know. Let me know if you think there's anything more to say. I uh, strongly recommend reading Uncle Tom's Cabin if you've never done it. And I think, I don't know if people read this in school anymore. We hear about it. You read about it in a textbook, history textbook, as an important book. But I don't know how many people actually pick it up anymore and read it. Uh, but next book, next book, we're going to stick with Harry Beecher Stowe. Uh, I'd be tempted to skip these two books just because they're so, they're so a bit in the weeds in the terms of American literature. But one reason we, we, we are taking in the Library of America is to read stuff we wouldn't normally read and to uh, 
you know, everything in the Library of America is pretty good. I don't think there's much here that's true, like uh, bad, truly bad. It's all from our greatest uh, writers, but there, there is sometimes like more minor works, and I think that's an advantage of the series. Is is who's going to read the Minister's Wooing or or Old Town Folks? Significantly less people than are going to read Uncle Tom's Cabin. I've never read them before. I don't really know what I'm going to face when I open them. I only have the little insert here from the Library of America, which says it's set in Newport, Rhode Island after the Revolution. It's a romance based on part of the life of Mrs. Stowe's sister. And I think that's referring to Catherine Beecher here. And traces to a happy ending the conflicts of a young woman between adherence to Calvinist rigor and her expression of a preference in the choice of a marital partner. Of course, Catherine Beecher never married, so um, maybe it's one of the other sisters. Um, we'll do this over three episodes. It's a, about 350 pages, so three episodes should about suffice for um, The Minister's Wing. So I'm looking forward to that. should be fun to dive into those books. As always, thank you so much for listening to my thoughts on these books. I would love to hear your opinion on Uncle Tom's Cabin, and, and maybe there's a time to talk uh, and discuss like how Uncle Tom has, as a figure throughout history, has been understood. That'd be an interesting article. I'm sure someone's written about this, but uh, I don't really know as much about that. But obviously, I think the characterization of an Uncle Tom doesn't fit this character, um, and I think that doesn't give him credit. But I understand where it comes from, a frustration in a particular period in history about how can we move forward out of Jim Crow, out of segregation, to a, to a place of true equality, if not through actual resistance. And I understand why we praise resistance nowadays, but that's not always um, the reality that people can make. That's not the choices people always make in real life. So I think there's some value there to think about that aspect of it. Um, so anyways, uh, it's getting late. I'll, I'll let you go. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you.